Welcome to the teaching ministry at Carthus Creek Community Church. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's, uh, it's great to be here. It's good to see everybody on the second advent of uh, Christmas. And uh, we're hoping that as you come today, you will experience that peace that we've been talking about. And uh, if you've not been here before, uh, I'm going to share a little bit from God's Word. Uh, today, specifically in the sixth chapter of Romans. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to that. And if you're listening or watching online, that's sort of the text, the first dozen verses or so from the book of Romans uh, in chapter 6. Now, I have to tell you that the first time I heard a message on Romans chapter 6, I was 16. I was 35 years ago. And uh, the reason I raise that is because back in the 60s when I grew up, it was quite a time for sinning. It was quite a time for people just living their own way, doing their own thing. And as a young Christian, I remember going and listening to somebody preach on Romans 6, and I went, this has the potential to change my life. And it radically did. And so if you're here today and you've never heard somebody preach on Romans 6, uh, I think you're in for something pretty amazing. Uh, Because this is one of the one or two things that I think, you know, there's a few things a Christian needs to know. And specifically in Romans 6, when Paul begins to talk about uh, what Christ does in us, uh, that's really powerful. So I hope it'll be encouraging to you. I would have to say that if I was a betting man, and I'm not really a betting man, but if I was a betting man in church today, I would, I would bet uh, that this is probably going to be one of those messages that you hear from my, my voice um, that is going to be pretty significant. Every once in a while, someone come up to me and say, Wayne, that message you preached on the tunnel of turmoil, that changed my relationship with somebody. Somebody says, Wayne, that message you preached on marriage and the marriage triangle, that, that really revolutionized my relationship with my wife. Every once in a while, someone will come and kindly encourage me, and you have to know that it's a tremendous joy for me to be able to do this, to be able to share something with you that will help you in your Christian walk. And the greatest joy is hearing that it's helping, that the things I do to make things memorable actually help you to make things applicable in your life. And so it's my pleasure to be able to do this. But I'd have to say, probably, if I was going to be a betting man, I'd say, I bet you that the message that we're going to talk about today is probably more profound than any message you've heard from me previously. So I guess I'm saying, listen up. And uh, if you never hear me from this stage again, I hope you'll remember what I'm saying to you today, because this is really important. Romans chapter 6, if you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to think about this. And I think it's going to be really important. Now, if you've been following us in the Roman study so far, you'll realize that we've just achieved uh, finishing from Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 5. And essentially, what, uh, what Paul has been saying is that Christ has done something wonderful for us. And that's uh, a thing that uh, if you've uh, been around church for a little while, uh, every journey begins with a single step. And when you become a Christian... And, and Christ changes your life and your heart, and he begins to apply what he did on the cross to your life, uh, the scripture calls that justification. And basically that, that means that, and I used to remember this as a little kid, that it was just as if you'd never sinned. That's what's happened. When you become a Christian, Christ dies, and like I say, he dies for you. He dies in your place. He dies in your substitute. If, as a substitute, if you're a Canadian here today and you watch hockey games, you know that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, uh, he's kind of like the goalie that gets a penalty for making a cheap shot at somebody who's in his crease, 
And instead of sending the goalie to the, the penalty box, they send somebody else. Somebody else is a substitute. And in the same way, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, becomes our substitute. And in essence, what Romans chapter 1 through 5 has been talking about is the fact that Jesus Christ is our substitute. He's the one who justifies us. He's the one who dies for our sins. He's the one who dies for us. Now, where I'm going to shift gears today, as the text does in Romans chapter 6, is Paul's going to talk about something else. He's going to talk about um, basically Romans 6 to 8 begins to talk about, if you will, the life after you become a Christian. The life after you accept Christ as your Savior, after you cross the line of faith. The thing that happens, not so much for you, but the thing that happens in you. And if you've never heard any of this, this could be revolutionary to your Christian walk. Because essentially, the Scripture tells us that Christ just didn't die for us, that is, to be our substitute, but he actually wants to apply his life into us to change us so that your Christian walk would be essentially impoverished if you only thought that Jesus was for you. And it will be greatly enhanced today, if this is the first time you've ever heard this, that actually Jesus Christ's life now in you has the ability to transform your life and change your life to be like him. That's really powerful. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 is basically the hinge from what's going on between Christ dying for us and Christ actually dying, as the scripture says, in us, or if you will, us dying in him. And so we're going to talk about that. Now, to be honest, a lot of people in the Christian church think once you become a Christian, it's clear sailing. But what I would like to suggest to you is that essentially... It's a bit of a challenge that continues as we continue to to work towards a new life in Christ. If I was to magnify this little line I just drew, this upward trajectory line that is moving upward and forward, you would probably be able to see stuff like this. That in the normal Christian life, there are some ebbs and flow. There are some challenges, there's some ups and some downs. Now, what Paul's going to talk about in Romans 6 today is that there are some of these ups and downs, but those ups are great because we're walking with Christ. Those downs are there, but not because of a choice we make to continue in sin. They're there because we have fallen from our commitment to walk before Jesus. And so, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Romans chapter 6, The first verse is pretty significant. Paul says to these young Christians, this is a rhetorical question. I don't think so. This is a real question for any person who's a Christian today. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? And if you're with me, if you're with John last week, he spoke from Romans chapter 5, verse 20, and this is what it says. The law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So basically, if you get this, that when we weren't Christians, as we read this morning, as was read this morning, Christ died for us. So when we had this huge sin problem, God created this huge grace solution, and he took care of it. 
So Paul is then saying to people, once you become a Christian, how does it work in your life now that when you struggle with obedience or you struggle to live the Christian life, that every once in a while you mess up? What's that about? And he's basically asking the question, which if in your, your text in the English, uh, in verse 2, he says, may it never be. Now, may it never be sounds like, no, may it never be. It just sounds of calm. But in the Greek, it's a, a double negative. Paul's saying, look, if you become a Christian, you don't become a Christian and have your sins forgiven and then say to yourself, how can I get away with this and how can I get away with this and how can I do this and how can I do this and continue in sin? He's saying, no way. That's not the plan. That's not what God wants for you. That's not his best for you. Now, I remember listening to Jesus when he was with some religious leaders who were trying to stone a woman. They were trying to throw rocks at a woman who had a, had a, um, a difficult life situation and she was in sin and they, they discovered her and they wanted to throw stones at her and they wanted to kill her. And Jesus went to those people and he basically started to write in the sand and he said, I don't know what he wrote in the sand, but by the time he was done writing in the sand, every one of those religious people who wanted to stone this woman basically realized that they were in trouble. And Jesus looked up to them and said, if you have sin, you throw the first stone. And you know what happened? All the people left. Jesus turns to the woman and you know what he says to her? Go and sin no more. Clear witness of the life of Jesus that when he comes into someone's life, he's not coming in to die for them and to do something in a moment and then say, now live your life the way you want to live it. He's basically coming in to change that person's life, to come into their life to make a significant difference in their life and in their heart and the way they live, and that is the true message of the gospel, and that's what, that's what Paul's about to talk about now. Now, I've entitled this message, How to Say No to a Stubborn Sin, because after Paul basically makes the point that the Christian, the normal Christian life is about not just accepting Christ, but about Christ abiding or us having union with Christ, Christ coming into our life in a very practical way, he's going to tell us how that actually works. And uh, this question that he introduces is quite fascinating. But he uses it as an opportunity to say to his community, um, there's a better way. If, if you want God's grace to be mega-sized in your life, Paul's saying, don't continue in sin. If you want Christ's grace to be mega-sized in your own life, let me tell you what you need to be thinking about. And so if you're a young Christian here today and you've never heard anybody talk about this thing, I'd like to help you because if you're struggling with a stubborn sin, you're struggling with something in your life, and you say, I need practical help to know how to beat this thing, Romans 6 is your passage. And I want, I want to encourage you with this. Now, it's really interesting. If, if I was going to try and teach somebody how to assertively say no to a really tough sin, I could do a number of things. I think it was years ago when one of the presidents, uh, uh, a wife of one of the presidents in the drug, uh, you know, struggle that people were having in the U.S., teenage use of drugs and all this kind of stuff, the president's wife came out with, a, with a, a basically a, a, a line and she said, just say no. And you remember what happened. All the people went, 
kind of help is that? I mean, just say no. And you and I, we struggle with the sin every once in a while, and someone says, hey, just be assertive. Just say no. That's the key. Simple. And you look at them like, are you for real? Like, like just say no. Well, what I want you to know this morning is that Paul, who has a lot of insight in terms of how people grow, he wasn't just a pastor and, uh, and, or just a preacher, somebody who talked a lot from a stage. He was a, a Christian worker. He was a person who dealt with people. He was a counselor. He was a person who, who helped people grow in practical ways in their Christian life. And so what he says here is actually pretty radical, and uh, I'm going to make it real simple, but uh, I believe that might help a whole bunch of us. If you're trying to say no to a stubborn, sinful habit, according to Paul and what he says in Romans 6, especially the first nine verses in there, verses 2 to 9, he basically says your capacity to say no will have something to do with your understanding in terms of what you know. And, and this, again, is maybe strange for some people. They think if you're going to have assertiveness training, uh, don't you just need to uh, practice your vocal cords? Don't you just need to learn how to say no to your sin? Don't you just need to try harder or, or summon some inner energy or whatever that's about? Paul says, actually, let me get a little conceptual with you. Let me get a little cognitive with you. Let me tell you that your ability to say no to a stubborn, sinful habit has a loads to do with what you actually know about who you are as a Christian. That's pretty radical. And if you don't know who you are as a Christian, that's why Paul's written this. He wants you to know who you are as a Christian. Now, there's a number of verses. Verse 3, again in verse 6, if you're following this. Uh, again in verse 9, Paul says, in verse 3, there it is, do you not know so again, he's making a pitch for it's important that you understand who you are as a Christian. Again, in verse 6, he says, knowing this, and he's presuming that what you know has something to do with how you behave, right? And then again, in verse 9, he says, knowing that Christ, and he begins to talk about what knowing's about. So what I'm saying this morning, what Paul has said and what Christians have understood for thousands of years is that your ability to say no to something that's really difficult in terms of a sin has something to do with your understanding of who you are in Christ. Now, this is really complicated. In a second, I'm going to read this passage, and you're going to go, man, that's complicated, okay? So instead of beginning with the complication, let me begin, you, begin with you the way Paul begins. They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. I like pictures. You guys know that. But an object lesson, it's like an encyclopedia. How's that? So here's what Paul does. He says... Um, and this is what we do at C4. We have a baptism. We have a baptismal tank. It's over here on the stage. People come in. They sit down on the edge of the thing. We have a conversation. And then they're baptized. So if Paul was here as the editor of the videographer, Eugene, who's here in our, in our community, does all our video stuff, Paul would say, Eugene, as this person is going down into the water, I want you to get a shot of that. I want you to take a shot of them with their hands over their hands and their eyes closed, and they look like the person in the coffin. They look like they're dead. I want you to get that. Could you get that for me? And so, you know, Eugene would go, okay, yes, Paul, no problem, sir. And he would get this person coming back into the water. Paul would say, look, I want you to get a still shot of this person underneath the water with the bubbles coming out of their nose. Because that's like they're buried. 
They're in there. They're down there. They're underneath the water. They're buried. That's really important. Get that shot. And then Paul would say, look, what's going to happen is we're going to bring these people out of the baptismal tank, and they're going to rise from the water. And you've seen the pictures of people in our baptisms. They rise from the water, and they get a big smile on their face, and we're all cheering. And they're alive, and they put their hands in the air, and their eyes are wide-eyed, and they're like, I'm alive. I didn't die in the tank, thank God, you know. (laughs) So basically the idea is Paul uses an object lesson, and he says, look, you want to know how to beat sin? You need to know something about yourself. You know what you need to know? You need to know the, the truths about your baptism and how your baptism is a picture of what happened inside your own heart. And this is what he says. Verse 3, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Question mark. Don't you know this? And I guess he would anticipate people would say, well, okay, yeah, I get get that. That's right. I was baptized. Jews and Gentiles, Romans, they would all know what baptism is about. This is easy for these people. Of course, baptism is a rite. It's It's a way of showing that you're done with the old life and you're all over the new life. So, that would be pretty basic, right? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Verse 4. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It's pretty cool. Paul's sort of going, you know, there's a dead part, there's a buried part, and there's a resurrection part. Three parts, sermon right there. It's beautiful. Paul's basically saying that this relationship we have with Jesus, which our baptism tends to show, has a huge impact on how we live our lives. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, both of those have something to do with our Christian walk. And so uh, I'm going to have to hurry along here. Here we go. Verse 5, for if we become united with him in his likeness of death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing this, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So this is pretty radical. What Jesus is, what Paul is saying to us is that not only did Jesus Christ die for you, but something about the way he died and the way he rose has something to do with how that affects inside of you today, in every Christian's life. doesn't matter how old you are today as a Christian, whether you've been a week or three weeks or young or old, it doesn't really matter. This is true for everybody here. If you're a Christian, Christ's death and life in you has a huge impact. Now, just to summarize, let me show you in verse 2, it says you're dead to sin. These are some death sightings, okay? Um, we're dead to sin and its mastery. We're no longer enslaved to sin. Verse 2, we're dead to sin. Verse 6, we no longer are slaves to sin. Verse 9, death no longer is master over us. Paul's basically saying, you know what? If you want to know something today that's going to help you with your struggle with sin, you need to know, first of all, that when Jesus died, 
in a, in a very amazing, mystical, sweet, beautiful way, when you came to Christ, you're part of that. You died too. Now, it's kind of like this. If I was having a, you know, one of these puppets on a string, and the puppet was sort of moving down here, and I was moving my hands up here, you would say, well, I'm in control, right? And what Paul is basically saying is that before Christ, we were like puppets on a string. The enemy had the strings, and he was in control, and what he said, we said, what he did, we did, and he was in control. But when you become a Christian, because of what Jesus Christ does, he chops off the strings, and you're a puppet without the strings, hanging over your head, dominating you, telling you what to do. That sin principle hasn't got its angry thumb over your head anymore. That's what it means to be born anew, from an old life of darkness to a new life, which the Scripture calls light. And that's really radical. So if you're a Christian and you've died, you've died to sin, that's got to help you with some of your struggle. It certainly helped me when I was a young kid growing up going, Wayne, that's how I used to believe, that's how I used to behave, that's how I used to think, but I'm not that guy anymore. That old Wayne is dead so that Christ, by his wonderful resurrection power, could come into my life and fill me and make a new person out of me. That's very powerful. We are alive. We're freed from sin. We're alive and walking anew. We have to walk in the newness of life. Verse 4, we're freed from sin, has no longer any control the way it used to over us. We shall also live with him. So really powerful, powerful stuff. I guess if I was to summarize, and I will, I have it on the board here for you, uh, to summarize the, the knowing part, basically we know as Christians that Christ died and rose. Both realities are essential for him, and both realities are essential for us. We know that as Christians that our old self was crucified, and we have been raised to walk in newness of life, verse 4. We know that as Christians we are united with him <clears throat> in his death, and also in his resurrection. I'm all over when we have communion and celebrate the death of Jesus. But at the end of the service, he's the resurrected Savior, risen Christ, living Lord, powerful Savior. Finally, we know as Christians that we We'll live with him in the future. That's our resurrection hope. And we sang about that today, and I concur with the song. However, we also know that we will walk like him in the present because of our resurrection life that we receive from him today. Not just later, but now. Both end. Beautiful. Now, some of you are sort of thinking, going, okay, so Wayne is trying to tell me that I'll be able to say no if I begin to know who I am in Christ, and that if I really start to understand my salvation, I'll start to realize that it's not only the death but the resurrection that impacts me in terms of my salvation, but also in terms of my sanctification, the way I live. And I'm saying, amen, that's correct. And you're saying to me, so this is what's true. The big circle, the red circle that you can't see because the marker's too shadow, I, I know. The big circle is what you know, right? But you become a Christian and you go, you know what, I kind of know that I'm dead and alive, but I don't really, I don't really, I don't get it yet. And so that's the little circle in the middle. 
And that's a young Christian who's growing, but isn't there yet. And then they grow and they begin to understand who they are in Christ, and they begin to go, I'm doing better. I'm starting to stretch out to the capacity that is true about me, that I'm dead to sin and alive to God, in a way that I never imagined possible previously. And as they grow and they continue to grow, they're going to continue to grow, and they're going to continue to experience the reality of what the truth says. And that's what we're going to get to next. If you want to follow along with me in the passage, a little bit further on, what uh, Paul says in verse 11, really important, he says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And you have to get this. The first verb he uses is you got to know this stuff. And then he says you got to consider this to be true about you. And it's a banking term. We've already used the banking term, credited to your righteousness. Well, this is credited to your understanding of who you are in Christ. You have to take it to the bank, as it were. You have to begin to realize that what God is saying and what Paul said and what Christ has done and what you've uh, shown at your baptism is not just a truth that's neat, but it's a truth that's true about you. And some people say this is the long drop from the head down to the heart, those so many inches, uh, where a truth falls into another kind of soil, and a Christian begins to develop a kind of conviction that says, this stuff is true of me. And if you want to say no to a stubborn habit, you just got to, it's not just about knowing who you are in Christ, but it's about getting it deep inside with a conviction. And so Paul says, consider this to be true. It's J.I. Packer in one of his books that says there's a difference between knowing about God and really knowing God personally. And he says it's a matter of degree. It's the same kind of truth that I'm talking about here today that Paul's talking about. Something can be true about you, but you don't actually get it until it drops a few inches down into your gut and you go, wow, that thing that I acknowledge, number one, I'm now going to learn how to appropriate that into my life. I'm going to learn how to really hang on to that truth. So for the men in our audience who say, boy, you know, it's, it's a struggle being a Christian man. It's a struggle with my eyes. I see this junk. This is a struggle. I'm like, you bet it is. Let's be honest. It doesn't go away when you become a Christian. I think it intensifies, frankly. What do you do with it? You acknowledge what Paul says, that you're dead to that old junk you used to be into. And you're no longer going there. You've got power and life and a new vision and Christ at work in you. And you begin to believe more deeply than you've ever believed before that this is true for you. It's not just a let's make believe that we're dead and alive. You know what I'm saying? It's not a make believe. That's not what Paul says. He's not in make believe. He's saying, this is true, and I know it's going to take you a little while, so after you begin to understand it, I want you to apply it to your life, and I want you to consider it, and I want you to know something. This can change the way you see yourself as a Christian. Let's just look at the summary for the consider, if we could, for a second. Number one, we daily connect with and credit this dead and alive truth, as I've called it, to our soul's spiritual account. We get it. This is true about me. We start to live as dead to sin and alive to God in many new areas in our lives. 
And God usually takes us one area of our life to another to another. We continue to see our lifestyle change and gain new confidence that God is powerfully active in us. And then my little quote was, what is extremely personal is also extremely powerful. Christ wants you, if you're a young Christian here today, to not only realize that you're dead and alive because of what he did right now, but he wants you to bring it into your life in new ways and make it more a part of who you are than you've ever imagined before and to start to think in a whole new way. Well, I'm almost uh, ready to transition here to the next uh, little step here, if you will, and basically what Paul is beginning to talk about in the latter parts of of, uh, the 12th, 13th verse. um, Let me read it for you and you can get the word. I've gone from the word know to the word consider, and here we are in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts, and do not go on presenting. There's the verb. You know how some people say, well, I went to the store, I bought all these potato chips, and I bought all this stuff. I brought it home, and I put it in the, in the shelf, and then when it was time for me to say no, it was hard because it was there. <laughs> Paul's basically saying, let's get practical now. If you present your bodies to something that is sinful, even though you're dead to sin, well, hold on a second, something's crazy about that picture. But if you begin to realize that you are dead to sin and you're no longer going to put those things in your carton, bring those things home, put them in the shelf, you're actually practically beyond theoretical to the practical. You're starting to make choices and decisions about how you present, which is a kind of a worship offering uh, picture, if you will. And this is what he says. So, so don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. Verse 13, don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Wow. Wow. So Paul is saying quite clearly, we're a new person. We've got to know that. We're a new person. We've got to consider that and make it really, person, really personal. And we're a new person. We've got to start to live in new ways. And instead of offering ourselves or our bodies to things that we used to, we have to take the high road and start thinking of creative ways to offer ourselves to God. And God will take care of the rest. That's what the passage is all about. Now, I was talking to Eugene, I said, we've got to draw this, and we've got to put this on the board somehow. And so I said, you know, here's the church where I live, or the church where I live. Yeah, that's exactly what's true about me. Um, I've been at this church now, this present location, for 10 years, uh, 17 years in total, but 10 years here. And along the way, I moved to a new house. But, you know, basically, let's say I used to, you know, go down the road, go north, there we are, there's my house. So I drove to my old house for, I don't know, morning, afternoon, night, thousands of times. So you're a Christian and you say, well, you know what? I know you're telling me that I'm a new person, I'm a new, new person, I'm a new Christian, I have a new location. But for some reason, I keep driving back to the old location. And I'm telling you, this happened to me. <laughs> I admit it. I can admit it. I have some guts here. I'll tell you. One day, I was driving home and I drove back to my old house. 
Well, I didn't really drive back to the house. Uh, by the time I got in front of it, I went, okay, i got to get out of here. Someone's going to see me, right? So I drove away. But I drove down the same street towards my old house. And so if you're a Christian today and you go, you know what? I know what you're saying. i got a new piece of real estate. Christ is real in my life. i got a new destination. I'm in a new place. But every once in a while, I go back to this crazy place that I've been before. And it's really crazy that I do it. And I'm really sorry. And I repent when I do it. And I go, you know what? I get it. You got to keep remembering. You, you got to keep being aware of who you are, where you live, where your new piece of real estate is. And after a while, God's going to help you to move right along, and you're going to develop a new habit of going to a new place, which is, in fact, your new house. And you're not going to make a right turn. You're going to go straight, and you're going to say, you know what? I'm starting to get this Christian life. I'm starting to realize what Christ is doing in my life. He's taking me to a new place. So basically, that's what Paul is trying to say. If you're a Christian and you know who you are, that's number one. If you're a Christian and you make it really personal and you relate it to what's going on inside your own soul, and sometimes you do that with counsel or with, with prayer or with other Christians or you talk about the dynamics, but you start to make it personal. And then you start to manage your life in certain ways. So instead of presenting your life over here on this altar of whatever it used to be, which was ugly, you say, you know what? I'm not presenting myself over there anymore. I'm presenting myself over here. And I'm going a new way, and I'm going to become a new person. And by God's grace, through his Holy Spirit, he's going to change me, and he's going to give me a new life. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6. Now, I don't have a lot of time left, so I just want to do one fabulous little drawing because I know you love them. I have people... I have people who tell me this. They can't wait to see what I'm going to do. So here goes. Here's a grace formula. And this is really a summary of what I'm talking about here this morning. Paul says the grace formula is not you sin, and then you sin some more, and then you sin some more, and oh great, oops, sorry, oh great, grace wins out. The more you sin, the more grace looks good. That's not a grace formula. That could be a grace formula that he's speaking to here, and he's saying, that's crazy. You want to see God's grace at work in your life, in your heart? You want to see God's grace actually show up, not just in your salvation? You know, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's blind, but now I see. Not just there, but through many dangerous toils and snares I have already come, and grace has been there through this thing, that grace that continuing work of God's grace. You want to see that in your life? Here's the little formula. I know it's a little corny, uh, but here goes. Something to do with how you know and the dead and life dynamic that you know that about yourself. You got that part. And then you add that to, you know, I'm starting to relate this to myself and consider it most personally, the dead and alive part. I got that part. And I'm starting to realize that if I present myself as a person who is, in fact, dead and alive, dead to sin but alive to God. Wow. I'm starting to see God's grace like a flood in my life. And that's the truth of Romans 6. My pleasure to be able to encourage you and train and teach and challenge and inspire and all those wonderful things. Um, but it's really my joy to be able to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ who basically said to all of us, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, privilege uh, to talk about your word and to allow your word to shape us in terms of how we think about such practical things in our Christian experience.
how we pray that you would be exalted alone, that in all of this we wouldn't come up with a new list of things to do and things not to do, but then in a real way we would apply the truth that's already true of us and that you would continue to bless us and use us and that you'd continue to be exalted. That's what we pray for. Father, I pray for young people here who are trying to steer clear of some junk in their lives, and I would pray that you would continue to give them that, that hope of the resurrection in Christ, that that has something to do with what they choose to do, with how they decide to live in the years they have ahead of them. For those of us, Lord, who have been Christians for a while, we've not thought about our baptism in a little while and what it means. We've not thought about the cross and the resurrection and what it means. We pray that you would help us to understand that and that that would have impact on us and on those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more teaching, info, or to give financially, please visit us at our website, crotherscreek.ca.